Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking with Karen Bolin. She is a senior scholar at Boston University's Center for Character and Social Responsibility. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Katie. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about you. You are the author of Teaching Character Education Through Literature, which was published several years ago and is now being translated into Spanish, which is really exciting. So tell us, how did you get involved in kind of this idea of character education and literature and and melding the two together? Oh, sure. I mean, I was a high school English teacher and I I actually studied, um, I started out as a science major and was interested in biology and FBI and a number of other things. And it was a really amazing literature teacher in college whose whose passion for for poetry and literature and life um, just maybe do a 360 and um, you know inspired me to to study literature and it was his gift for awakening me to the power of what great novels, um, great stories, and good poetry can do to us. It can just stop us in our tracks and rethink the meaning of something, the meaning of love and loss, um, death and friendship. And so I knew I wanted to uh, pass this love on to high school students um, because, in fact, my experience in high school with literature was pretty tepid. You know, it wasn't really very powerful. And part of it was that we were encouraged to read a lot, do it quickly, have a five question quiz, move on, write a paper, do an analysis. And there wasn't a lot of time to plumb the depths and talk about the the story and what was going on and, and why it was important. And it, I, I see um, how, you know, there are reluctant readers. It's part of childhood. If you don't have a lot of experience reading at home, being read to, um, you don't develop that that love and passion. And they need to be won over in the classroom. And spending time with kids talking about um, great stories from Pride and Prejudice to The Great Gatsby was really powerful. I saw how how much the kids responded to it and how much they related it to their own lives. And and so it was a much easier, more distant window to talk about some of the big questions, like who am I? Who am I called to be? How do I deal with rejection and suffering? How do I learn from my big mistakes when I've misjudged someone? And literature was a fabulous way to talk about that and get right mm-hmm. into the minds and hearts and lives of the characters looking, because that's what novelists are. They're great psychological portrait painters. And, um, and you, you can look at the text and, and see, you know, you can feel really sorry for Sidney Carton in Tale of Two Cities, who feels like a dissipated drudge and, um, self-medicates drinking himself to sleep every night because he thinks he's failed um, and no one loves him. So these are very real and resonant themes with young people. And it's important not 
to use literature to turn it into a therapy session, but to really let the literature illuminate, you know, all of the intricacies of um, life's challenges uh, that that we face. So that's part of that's a long response to your. Uh-huh. No, I think I think that's so great. I I'm curious if you have noticed because you've worked in education for years and years. Um, have you noticed that? students have become more reluctant to be readers as the years go by. Like I would assume now people are less likely to read full novels than they were before, just given our TikTok culture and all of that kind of stuff. Do you notice that? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I've in, in working with English teachers and teachers across the country, people have sort of shortened the both the number of works covered over the course of an academic year and even the the length of works they they choose that said um it's not that young people can't read or don't want to read they need more practice um mm-hmm. entering into a text and they need more help up front so the most powerful thing to do with a reluctant reader is to uh, raise some provocative questions about the book before you start it, get get them hooked and curious about something, and then read passages aloud. You, we have to create the cliffhanger experience because if you, you know, we, we, we are in this media-saturated um, culture and the, the, you know, those dopamine hits are quick and immediate, you can achieve the same level of interest and hook through literature, but we just need to work with them on it. You, you can't just expect them to read. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times and work through those first three chapters of, of um, Tale of Two Cities on their own, unless they're really avid readers. So it's just like physical therapy, any kind of training we have to um, practice in small steps or give them small doses, but um, be sure that, you know, where physical therapy is, is it, it, that works in terms of incremental. Um, it's not always fun, though. There are really wonderful um, ways to be like, enamored of a book. And the whole point of the reading experience is that we can enter into transport. We can, and that's why it's good for parents in particular to have lots of opportunities, short stories, little biographies, um, books, lots of opportunities to awaken their children's imagination and interest in reading. So it's not just, this is assigned by school and it's important for teachers to see wonder and awe as really important goals of, sure. of reading. That makes sense. Do you, what would you say, like if you had to give parents just some basic tips to turn their, their young child maybe, or their reluctant reader child into someone who is passionate about reading and passionate about books, what would be some tips or tricks that you could give them? Yeah, I would, uh, parents are really busy um, and they find it hard to know where to go, what to do. So start with play from your strength. Think of a childhood book. It can be a picture book, a chapter book that you loved. 
and make some time to read aloud um, some of that book with them. Also in the car, there are some fabulous audiobooks. You know, you want to check, get the good reader and spend some time listening to um, great stories together. Some people go through the whole Tolkien series on a family road trip. Other people that's, have That's interesting to- you mentioned that. Just as a side note, my family, we weren't really that, well, some of us were readers, some of us weren't, but at one point we were making lots of trips to visit my grandfather in Wisconsin. And so we had all this time in the car um, and my mom read the first Harry Potter book to all of us. And every single one of my siblings got obsessed. And so we all read then individually all the rest of the books as a result, and then started finding more series books. So it's true, the reading together, audiobook or however, can be a big driver for that. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's also a phenomenal, um, I'm sure your mom was a great reader, but there's a phenomenal reader in Audible. Mm-hmm. And I think he does 111 voices or some, something incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have that experience, mm-hmm. then you, you, you're you hooked. Um, right. And it's good to make library visits together. That sounds very old fashioned, but it's a wonderful thing. You know, Ray Bradbury, author Fahrenheit 451, mm-hmm. credits libraries for his real life education. He he moved a lot with his family. He'd go to the library, get lost in the stacks, and he'd just read books. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of Fahrenheit 451, he just he imagined sort of the horror of the world without books. Mm-hmm. And science fiction, while you want to look at what's good, what's not good, science fiction that sometimes parents fear has a lot of wisdom in it. Mm. Even something like Hunger Games, which again, I'm not recommending for fourth graders, Right, he's making it very clear that when we reduce people mm-hmm. to their role in society, when there's an overclass that's reduces the dignity and contribution of other people. We cannot function as fully human beings. And um, this is true in Divergent. When you reduce people to whether or not they are dauntless or whether or not they're um, benign, you you have these monolithic labels. And the person who is the threat to society is the person who's Mm -hmm. very comfortable talking to people of different temperaments and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And this is what we see on social media. We see um, reductionism by labeling, by posting, Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. not a nuanced conversation about who you are and what you're all about. So I would say for parents of older adolescents, not to fear some of those science fiction books because they're a wonderful critique of what we're, we are getting wrong in our world mm-hmm. today and are really sort of championing the importance of um, thinking for yourself, being reflective, challenging systems that are reductive. So I, I just, that, that's sort of a long aside, but I would say reading aloud to your children, starting with the books that you appreciated, um, curating good lists. Of, of, of books and talking with, with other parents, teachers. It's good to have a, a list of titles and resources. There's um, a wonderful resource you can put in the show notes, a, a mother's list of books. There's an old um, 
old 1990s book by um, uh, Kilpatrick and Wolf, um, books that build character. There's a lot of resources where you can curate lists of books. Put books out. If your child is interested in sailing or your child is interested in um, hiking adventure, just, you know, leave Caddy Woodlawn over here. Put a book, leave them out. It's really important that children see adults reading. We need to be reading in front of them. We can be so busy, but if there is just 15 minutes where they see people sitting in a chair reading, we are trying to build a habit. And when they see the peace and calm of sort of people enjoying themselves in the corner of the family room reading a book, that creates um, a memory, a memory, gosh, you know, there's there's sort of this peace and ease and and joy of of reading together. Uh, it, it, it's in it's a practice. Um, sure. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious. I, I was talking to a couple of high schoolers the other day, and one of them said that her English teacher just encourages them to read the Sparknotes version of the book instead of the actual book. That they get everything that they need they from the Sparknotes, so no need to read the real book. I'm sure you disagree with that. So I'd be curious to know, like, why is it beneficial to read the full book of whatever you're reading in school, Weathering Heights or Jane Eyre or whatnot, as opposed to the Sparknotes version or the Cliff Notes? Sure. Well, the Sparknotes Cliff Notes is just, it's distilling down what you need to know for a test that's just focused on character plot, major conflict, and somebody's interpretation of themes. So you are missing out, you know, who Jane Eyre is on, um, and the devastation she experiences and losing her first friend and what it's like to be rejected and an orphan and all of the, um, the, the tension, the, the psychological tension, the romantic tension, the, the drama and trauma in, um, Jane Eyre alone is extraordinary to kill a mockingbird mm. and to really experience uh, the father child relationship that Atticus has with each of his children and to sort of walk through, you know, who he is as a lawyer, as a father, what's going on in this incredible injustice and the choices he's making it's not about who, what, where, when, how. Mm-hmm. It's about who this person is and how we see the decisions they make. I mean, we really have a chance to walk in their shoes, to get inside their skin. And the the circumstances are so unique and varied. That's what's wonderful. Again, it's not reductive. And you need, we learn so much more about, about character, about um, the, you know, all of the opportunities we have to become a certain kind of person. We learn so much more from a life than from a lesson. And um, good reading allows us to experience lives, to have that vicarious experience. Um, someone I admire greatly, Wayne Booth, the late Wayne Booth from University of Chicago, had a book called the, the the company we keep in ethics of fiction, and I think that 
parents want to be as interested in the company their children keep in their reading as they are in their playgroups and mm-hmm. in their schools and in their time on social media and um and and films and movies you know we are we consume a lot of media mm-hmm. and that media is shaping and informing our imagination and our memory actually good reading has the power to nurture and feed the imagination and memory in an even deeper way than media because of the experience of reading is a very active experience. Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of functional MRI um, studies that have been done to that show when you're reading good literature, like Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen, there are um, uh the parts of the brain that are lighting up as you're engaged in metaphor and um, nuanced reading are much more sophisticated than the parts of the brain that are lit up if you are just looking at a billboard or reading a comic strip or what I call it billboard literature, literature that's just, it's sociological tract fiction. It's just meant to engage kids, especially teenagers by saying, you have problems. These characters have problems. In fact, they have every problem. All our families are dysfunctional. Everyone yep. has addictions. There's violence here. There's chaotic relationships. There's no character development. There's no, you're never, these characters are not reflecting on anything other than fear, terror, fight, and flight. There's no reflection on agent an agency. Who am I? What can I do to improve this situation? change the situation. Our choices reveal who we are. And good literature, in in my judgment, is defined by how much we can experience how characters arrive at the choices they make. Do we get that depth and breadth? Do we see their relationships unfolding? Do we hear and witness their reflections on how they're responding to um different challenges and obstacles. That's what's fascinating. That's why they become the company you keep because you've accompanied them on exciting and um, really challenging. Sure. And how do you think too, like we can help children, whether you're a parent or you're a teacher, an educator, or a mentor to think a little bit more deeply about the things that they're reading, right? Because I can imagine even with like good literature that really does have character development and moves you through a story, unless you're actually spending a little bit of time thinking about it and thinking a little deeply about it, a lot of that could probably go right over your head. Or, you know, like you were saying with some of these sci-fi dystopian novels, if you're just reading Hunger Games for that, it's just children killing children, as opposed to what it's really could be saying and the deeper meaning you can find in it. But if you take the time to really think about it. So how do we help kids do that? Yes, it's a great question. I, it's just like it's important for kids to see us reading. It's important that we're reading aloud. We're putting good, we're, we're getting them hooked. We're creating all the conditions. The second thing is we need to talk about what we're reading. So we need to build in very naturally at the dinner table, after dinner, in the carpool, um, tell me about your what you're reading, read things together as a family and discuss them. Um and it, that tell me about, um, walk me through an experience that really moved you in the novel. It, those two questions prompt 
a child, not just to say, oh, it was good, it was bad, to choose an incident or anecdote, a dramatic moment that struck them and walk through it. So once they pick the dramatic moment, tell me, tell me about um, what you're reading. Walk me through an experience that, that you remember from the book. Then you can have the conversation. Okay, what did you think about that? Mm. And why? What kind of choice did did she make? And why? What do you so having the conversation? We have book uh, uh, book clubs are very popular among adults. We don't have to have a structured book club, but we can create um, traditions of talking about talking about books at home. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Sure, I love that. Um, Curious if you have book recommendations that these are books that you just think are awesome for kids to read of any ages or even adults that you think that they really kind of help, I don't know, go deeper in some of these moral lessons, kind of develop their character a little bit more, um, you know, whatever yeah, you would suggest. Where there's like the whole life range, right? So mm-hmm. I will I will um, uh, start with some uh, high school, young adult and adults sort of perennial sure. great reads. And um, I think they're powerful because they raise a lot of questions about, um, you know, what, what it means to be, what it means to be human, to be resilient. So some of the big classics, obviously um, Pride and Prejudice, which I mentioned earlier by Jane Austen. Uh, I, I also, Tale of Two Cities, by Charles Dickens, um, another great book that is uh, obviously um, uh, why am I drawing a mental blank here on um, Atticus? Or what did we just talk? Kill a Mockingbird. Kill a Mockingbird is classic, um, and then there are so many great, you know, international reads from mm-hmm. um, Anna Karenina. And there's a lot of great short stories by Tolstoy mm-hmm. that I would mm-hmm. recommend if you're not going to jump into Russian novels right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Death Comes to the Archbishop uh, is is a great one. Um and then there are a lot of nonfiction reads that there's where we're generating also so many great titles, new mm-hmm. authors, new books. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend The Choice by Dr. Eva Edgar. She is a um, concentration camp survivor um, and psychotherapist, Unbroken, mm-hmm. um, Man's Search for Meaning. Lots of powerful stories of resilience. The boys in the boat. Mm. Um, they the list goes on, uh, and, and then I think some really important um, essays. There's letter to Birmingham City, letter from Birmingham City Jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, just seminal pieces and insights. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what's beautiful about that piece is it it such testament to MLK's reading and background. Um, some darker reads, but very, very powerful. Highly recommend um, Portrait of Dorian Gray. Yes. Um, Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Are 
watching God. Mm -hmm. Um, Very, very powerful read. Um, Again, talks of you really understand the psychology of um, of devastating experience and the capacity of the human spirit to mm-hmm. to rise above. So, yeah, I could get you some more titles for your for your listeners, uh, but sure. those come to mind. No, those are that's definitely a great list, and it kind of covers a full gamut of autobiographies and fiction and all of that. So I, I think that is excellent. Um, do you have any like best advice for parents? I think when it comes to um, literature, but also like literature in the schools, like what their children are reading there, what their teachers are making them read or what's on the book list. Do you have any kind of recommendations for how parents should kind of approach that? Should they be reading the book with the kids? Should they be, I don't know. Yes. I think it's good to read the book with, with your children. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the first question, if you're really concerned about um, a book that's been assigned Mm -hmm. is to write a very cordial, brief um, email and say to the teacher, um, you know, I'm. I, is there is there five minutes we could chat by phone, or um, could uh, I, I'm sure you have a good reason for assigning this book. Can you help me understand mm-hmm. what you're aiming at with this selection? Right. And I think it's important to air with that first outreach on the side of cordiality and assuming the best mm-hmm. because you want to, if you start out with how is it possible that you assign this book, what's going on and bring a committee of folks together who've already flagged it as communist, violent, this, that, and the other thing, there's no room for a formative conversation with that teacher who may or may not even be aware of what's in that book it may have just been passed on. And, and I think the goal is not just to protect your children from reading books that may not be um, inspiring, edifying, truthful, or good, but the goal is to help people understand why we want to put the best, the beautiful, true, and good in front of our children and not just be you know, naysayers or circle the wagon or run from, and we need to, we need to form relationships and have conversations with teachers and school leaders so that we can together um, share a vision of what we're aiming for, for our children and what we hope they'll consider so that there can be some back and forth and conversation of suggesting alternative texts. Um, so I would just say, be careful. If you're really, really upset, write that strong email with everything in it and then put it in the freezer. Do not press send. <laughs> Do not shoot the messenger mm-hmm. until, because we, if we want to change the world, um, we need dialogue. We need real encounter. We need to assume people are operating by their best lights um, mm-hmm. and we need to bring them in on what 
we care about, we need to understand where they're coming from. And they might say, wow, of course, no, this is not age appropriate. Um, and I understand where you're coming from. But when you fight fire with fire, it only generates, you know, sparks and heat. It doesn't bring us forward. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, we touched on this a little bit early on in the podcast, but I'm curious if you have any tips for making reading not a chore. Like, you know, when you're in school and you're like, okay, read these next 12 chapters of whatever. And you're like, oh my gosh. Or I can remember being a kid and like summer reading and my mom being like, you can't go outside until you've done 30 minutes of reading. And you're like, I hate this. Like, <laughs> how do we help it become something that people look forward to and enjoy as opposed to like the chore I must get done in order to like go do the things that I actually want to do? Yeah, I was very envious as a kid seeing my brothers like in their bunk beds, like head buried in a book, like they were excited. They like ran from the dishes to go read this book that they were hooked on. So I think it it is the power of um, a parent saying, oh, let's, I really want to sit down and read a book. Do you want, you know, do you want music in the background or not? Like whether <laughs> if it's dead of winter, like right now, let's light a fire and do some reading or yeah. I've got this great book I'm reading because kids really do want to be accompanied by their parents. Mm -hmm. Even just being together in the same space reading mm -hmm. is a type of accompaniment and connection that's very powerful and highly um, needed and, and it's, it's deeply desired. So if that's a way that you can create family time, but if we can reframe instead of, I'm going to set the timer so you advance your summer reading, if we can reframe our language and um, create small having even just, oh, I just want to sit down for 15 minutes and read a good book. What do you have? This is what I have. Create that environment where reading is something we do um, for fun, for family, for leisure, and we talk about it. We're going to make great progress. And also when kids are reading things that are disturbing, dark, and they'll be more likely to talk about it mm -hmm. um, if we've created those patterns uh, and traditions at home. Sure. That makes total sense. All right. My last question for you. I'm curious. So let's say you notice your child or your student or whatever is lacking a certain virtue or a certain character trait, right? Something that would be really good for him or her to develop. Like, let's say they're lacking courage. Do you recommend like finding a book that talks about courage, like have them read Undaunted and like then, you know, or Unbroken, sorry. And then we, yes. you know, we talk about that, like kind of targeting it towards areas kids need to grow in? As long as it's not too um, obvious, mm. as long as the focus of the read is the story, mm -hmm. not the virtue I want you to have. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because sense. the way um, stories work in terms of shaping our imagination, um, creating that, that company of friends who we remember and we, we kind of We've experienced things with them. We've rehearsed things with them in our imagination um, is that the friendships are authentic and it's the stories that remain. And so we can talk about courage after we talk about who they are, what's happened mm -hmm. and the choices mm -hmm. they've made. So if we reduce literature or good stories to the virtue it will teach, we undermine it. Um, we, we undermine the whole effort. 
that said, I think you're spot on. I think we do need to have them read stories that show characters who are um, being bold and courageous under difficult circumstances and who had to overcome their own sort of embarrassment. Um, what is that wonderful? Wonder is a beautiful mm. children's book. Yes. And I mm. haven't read the series, um, but beautiful about authenticity and truthfulness mm-hmm. and being who you are and real friendship mm-hmm. um, that I think can be really powerful for kids and can open up uh, their minds too to being a better friend too yeah. to someone on the playground or in the cafeteria who no one's sitting with mm-hmm. and realizing there could be a lot more to that person. So I do think it's powerful. It's even more powerful if you talk about the book um, and you hear the reflections on it. So the my book, Teaching Character Education Through Literature, has a lot of practical ideas on creative conversation and points mm-hmm. of entry into books the um, for, for teachers, but parents mm-hmm. can use them as well. Um, But be sure you're hearing what they care about. Have them share a scene or an episode that really struck them Mm -hmm. and then keep the conversation going. Great. Um, So any last big takeaway, anything you want the listeners to walk away with and be like, oh, yes, like I know this from today's conversation? I think that, you know, one of the great things about... um, raising children, teaching children is that they are always asking themselves the question, who am I and who am I called to be? And the beautiful thing about reading is that they get to explore that question. They get to try on different selves and be in conversation with people who are, who who are in that, who are on that journey and they follow alongside them. So it's worth thinking about the books that moved you um, Mm -hmm. as a child. It's worth calling those lists and, and prioritizing, you know, how reading plays a part in the formation of your sons and daughters, minds and hearts, because, because it does. Awesome. Thank you so much, Karen. Really appreciate your time today and sharing all of your wisdom about reading and literature and character education. This was great. Great to be with you, Katie. Thanks so much. Sure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to visit us at ferrislovshrine.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook.